grace makes us more than the sum of our sin. Let me repeat that. Grace makes us more than the sum of our sin. Picture your sin, my sin, the sin of the world, everything that you'll ever commit, all the sins you'll ever commit, have ever committed and will commit this week, that committed this morning, last night. Grace takes all that sin. It makes us more than the sum of our sin. It cleans the slate when we ask for forgiveness and confess our sin. Grace makes us more than who we really should be or deserve to be. It makes us more than the sum total of our sin. God's grace makes us more than the sum total of our sin. In Scripture, there was a story of Jesus talking to a group of people, Pharisees, teachers of the law, and some followers, and he was trying to explain to them the importance of loving, extending grace, and also the importance of looking for people who were far from God, who were lost and headed to hell. So he gave these three parables, as we term them or talk about, these three stories of, about a coin, about a sheep, and about two brothers and a father. And the third story we know in our circles as the prodigal son or the rebellious son. You had the good brother, you had the bad brother. You had the brother who was lost and knew he was lost and was running completely away from God. And you had the good brother who thought he was found, but we're going to find out he was lost too. So you have two lost brothers and a father who wants to lavish grace on both of them. And so we end up with this story in Scripture that shows us that grace makes us more than the sum total of our sin. Well, let me show you a modern version of what that might look like. Take a look at this. So I'm sure you've heard of my brother, the prodigal son, the one who who practically stole his inheritance by asking my father for it before he was dead. I mean, who does that? And he took the money so that he could go and live like a rock star. Parties, booze, women, drugs, all while living under our family's good name. He never even contacted us. After a while, we began to think he never would. Then tonight, on my way home from work, there are cars parked everywhere and I can't manage to get a spot. I have to park all the way away from the house and I get out of the car and I start walking toward the house and one of my neighbors comes out. My neighbor walks up to me, he's ecstatic. He's, he's stumbling over words and finally he gets out, your brother is home. Really? No, not my brother, my father's son. And apparently he told my father some sob story about how after the money was all gone, he began to feel very sorry for what he had done. Kind of convenient, don't you think? My father bought it. He, he took the bait and decided to throw a party for this con artist of a son. After all that he had done, he tells one little story and he's back in the family as if nothing had ever happened. Well, I'm not going in. I'm not going to the party. I, I, I'm not going to believe what everybody inside there believes. People don't change like that. And so I, I turned around and I started to walk back toward my car. Evidently, my father was watching. He came running out of the house and he came up to me and he started begging me to come inside. He started begging me to come to the party. Well, I'd had enough of this idiocy. And so I turned around and I shouted right in his face, look, 
All this time I've been with you. I've been slaving for you. And I've never once disobeyed you. And this son of yours, who's wasted all your wealth, comes home and you throw a party for him. But when I was looking at his face, I noticed that it had changed. And I noticed that all the frustration that I had seen in him was gone. And he just looked at me and he, and he lovingly said, My son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. We had to have a party because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. But I say, that after all that he's put us through, let him stay dead. My father acted as if the money didn't matter. He acted as if, as if nothing mattered. Nothing that my brother did or said, nothing that he acted as or posed as mattered at all. He was simply overjoyed to have him home. But doesn't it matter? Doesn't everything that he did matter? I think it does. And if I go into that party, I'll be acting like nothing ever happened. But it did. And so, doesn't it matter? Does it matter? Does it matter that we have a past? Does it matter that we run far away from God? Does it matter that when we try to come back to him that God has to look at all that mess, that, that, that just the, the, the language, the, 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 the luggage of our past? Does it matter somehow that we have to get all that together, all that cleaned up before we were received back? Does it matter that people run away from God? Should they stay there? Should we be like the older brother, the good brother, and say, no, 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 I stayed at home. Like, I did what I was supposed to do. Like, look at my life. Like, I'm the good brother. I checked off the list. I did everything you want me to do, Dad. Why in the world are you letting him back in the house and bringing him back? Like, why would you, do, why would you give him grace? He doesn't deserve that grace. Do we deserve grace based upon our acts? Is grace really dependent upon whether or not we live the way God wants us to or the way he doesn't want us to. Does it matter that someone runs away from God, squanders everything, and yet there's a moment where at any moment along this path, he or she can turn around and go in an opposite direction and God will just dole out, lavish out the Father grace to his son. Does the way we live matter or not if we receive grace from God? And that's basically what Jesus is trying to show us today. Here's what I know about this account. Here's what I know from studying and watching and observing my life and other people's life. Here's what I know. The thing that often gets missed in this account, that there's this, there's this son, the younger son, who comes to his senses, it says here, and he realizes that he's made a mess of his life, and he turns around, and it's purely an act of humility. It's an act of repentance. And I, I know this to be true, that humility leads to repentance. Let me show you the full account. Grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 15. And we're going to read 11 through 16. Luke chapter 15, 11 to 16. Turn to the middle of your Bible, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand. 
If you don't own a Bible, this is your gift from Grace Community. Take it home, keep it, read it, study it. Let the words of God just give you life. But turn to Luke chapter 15, and let's read 11 through 16. Stand with me, and we'll read it out loud together. Luke 15, 11 to 16. Let's read this out loud together. Luke 15, 11 to 16. Ready, read. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. You may have a seat. Humility leads to repentance. We're going to see this younger brother finally get to a point where he's aware that Scripture says he comes to his senses and says, this journey I'm on, this path I'm on, like, I don't want to remain here. There's got to be something better. So he says he turns around and develops this business plan to make up the debt that he has occurred with, with his father. And he turns around in humility and repents of his past. And now the father has a decision to make. Will I bring him back? The older son, the good son, has a, has a, a, a decision to make. Will I still let him be my brother? Every single one of us, every single one of you, every single person in this room, in the link, and are watching by internet, every single one of us are one step away from being where this younger brother is. And if you don't think you are, listen, pride comes before destruction. We are one step away from failing miserably. And while even saying that, we must realize that we long to receive grace, and it's not dependent on how we live. Like, we should never have to earn grace. If you have to earn it, it's no longer grace. So this brother had spent everything on wild living and is completely broke and has completely disgraced himself and his family's name. And in verse 17 says, look at verse 17, look at verse 17, it says, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have what? What's your Bible say? Sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer what? What's the word? Worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. As best as he knew, he was dead to the family. As best as he knew, his family wouldn't receive him back. But he was willing to go back as a hired servant just so he could eat. I mean, just a few verses before that, he said he even longed to eat what the pigs were eating. Now, think about that for a second. A Jewish son hanging out with pork. I mean, that's low. And he's willing to eat what the pork eats. That's how low he had gotten in this, this, this unbelievable journey of sin. But he comes to his senses and wants to return to his father. 
And he wants to go back and be hired. He, he says, I don't even care if you, if you call me your son. I just, I'm hungry. I'm in need. All I want is a job. Just, just put me on the, the employee list. Like, I'll be employee number 56. Just put me up. I, I just want, give me minimum wage. I'm just hungry. He was at the bottom of the rung. He had spent and squandered everything. And now his only hope is he'll go back because his dad runs a great business and he's hoping that he'll hire him back. I don't even care if you call me son. I don't even care if I have the same last name. I am hungry. I'm in need. Please just take me back. So a father has a decision to make. An older brother, the good brother, has a decision to make. Will they welcome him back? At this point in the story, I find myself asking, really, Who is the lost son? Like, Jesus has given us a parable. In other words, he's saying things to help us understand a truth. So he's saying, there's these two sons. One's lost because of the choices he's made. There's this other son who's the older brother who thinks he's in, who thinks he's part of God's family, who thinks he can earn his way to God. And so there's that son, there's the son that's far away, and there's the father, as we see, as God. And then there we're going to see this celebration that represents heaven. And so when I look at this account, who really is the lost person? And I walk away from this account finding that both are lost. Both the son that squandered a living and the son who thinks he's saved, but he's not because he's trying to earn his way to God. And you and I know we can't earn our way to God. It's by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ that we're saved. Totally. So the minute we think, like the older brother does, the good brother, that, hey, I'll have my devotions every morning. Hey, I'll I'll serve at Grace Community. You know what? I'll even work with junior high girls. I'll do that, God, for you. That's got to get me into heaven. Yet the older son is like many Christians who seem to think that some are outside of the circles of God's grace. Like, my brother doesn't deserve that. Like, he's done too much wrong. Like, the sum of his sins far outweighs any grace. But you and I know this truth. Grace makes us more than the sum of our sin. Any amens for that? But the truth is there. There's never, listen, listen, please hear this. If you hear nothing else from me today, there is never a moment in your life where God loves you more or loves you less. Never. I know that's hard for our, our minds because we deal with guilt and we should, we should address it. We deal with our sinfulness. But even though we, we feel like God loves us, listen, we can't base our faith on our feelings. Here's the truth. God will never love you more or love you less, no matter if you're in the armpit of sin or you're on the pinnacle of righteousness. That's how much God loves you. You see, the older brother believed that his father's love must be earned and that he had to do every day something to earn his father's love. He checked off the list of duties. He did them to earn the love of his father instead of understanding, as you and I should, that God's love is never earned. He gives it freely. God's love's never earned. He gives it freely. In fact, if, in fact, we have to earn it, then it's not grace. It's not, we don't get something. We don't have to earn something in order for it to be grace. Here's the problem with our thinking sometimes, and this is where the enemy comes in. He tries to feed us these lies. Many Christians, many people see God as a math teacher carrying a calculator instead of a God who carries an etch-a-sketch. Like, 
We see God like, oh yeah, there it is. Oh yeah, divide that by like 52 weeks. Oh my goodness. Like, oh, there's Jim. I don't have a calculator big enough. There it is. And so we carry our calculator and we think God's up here like he's this math teacher. Like, it's probably like calculus teacher too because most of us don't like calculus. Like, I'm not going to that class. And so we see God like this math teacher who's just adding it up, adding it up, adding it up. But the truth of the matter is this, we have a God of grace. And the sum of our sin, his grace far outweighs that. And God is like an etch-a-sketch. Sure, we should repent of our sin. Sure, we should acknowledge our sin and ask for forgiveness of that. But listen, you know what God does with our sin? He puts it on an etch-a-sketch and he shakes it clean. And he gives us a fresh start all over, every single minute, every single hour, every single day. Our God does not keep records of our wrongs. Listen, if he did, we would all go to hell. But praise God for his grace. So the younger repentant brother throws out his business plan of paying off the debt. And the father and brother would have to choose whether or not they would let him back into the family. But here's another question. Do you and I really have a choice when it comes to grace? <laughs> well, you know, they've done too much. So when someone repents of their sin and, and sees, comes to their senses, do you and I, like, is there a measure like, well, I can tell, like, he's, they're really serious. This Who are we to judge someone's motives when God above is able to do that? Grace makes us more than the sum total of our sin. When I look at this account, here's what comes to mind for me. Now, I want you to hold on to this thought because this, this, this will show us exactly where we're at when it comes to grace. We really only love God as much as we love the person we love the least. Now, let me repeat that for you again. If that didn't cause you to go, ouch, then you're not awake. Drink some more coffee right now and think this through. We really... Only love God as much as we love the person we love the least. Oh, how come? Get, why, tell me, where do you get that from, Pastor Jim? Well, isn't that what Matthew 25, 45 says? Whatever you did for the one of the least of these, you did for me. So let me ask you a question right now. How much do you love God? Just find the person you love the least. That's how much you love God. Oh, no, Pastor Jim, like, like I got like 10,000 people. I do everything for them. Like, oh, it's, it's unconditional. I just, I'd go out of my way to do that for them. What about, what about that ex? What about that person that's wronged you? We only love God as much as we love the person we love the least. Oh, no, 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 Pastor Jim. I love God with all my heart, soul, my, no, we don't, because we only love God as much as we love the person we love the least. At this point in the story, the father has a choice to make, as does the older brother, as does everyone in this room and in the link and across the internet. You see, you and I say these words, oh, I love Jesus. I love God. I love him with all my heart, soul, and mind. And yet we have little love for our boss or for someone who has wronged us. How much do you love the president of the United States? No, seriously. We love the Lord as much as we love the person we love the least. 
How much do you love your exes? How much love you have for your pastors? How much do you love your coach, a teacher, a former, whatever? The Bible says that God is love and those that love him are called to love others like he does. And it says that the way other people know that we love God is by the way we love him and love others. And so we love God as much as we love the person we love the least. So this brother has a choice to make. This father has a choice to make. To say, yes, God, I love you. Will they extend grace or will they not extend grace? You see, how much does God love us? Well, Paul put it pretty clearly in Romans 5.8. But God, he said, but God demonstrated his love, made a demonstration at the cross. God demonstrated his love for us. While you and I were still sinners, yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us at our very worst, at our very least. He didn't say get cleaned up. He didn't say, I'm going to wait till you have devotion seven days a week. And, and listen, and I want to make sure that you do it in the KJV. No, he didn't say that. He says, I'm going to love you and extend grace to you because you're my child. Verse 20 really speaks loud to me when I read this story because it says this. So the son got up and went to his father. But, wow, he was still, how far off? What's it say? A long way off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and did what to him? Kissed him. Here's why this speaks loudly to me. How much courage do you think it took for this rebellious son, this younger son, to even turn around and run home? Like, how much pride did he have to swallow? Because he knew the older brother, Mr. Righteous, Mr. Good, would be there. How much courage did it take for him to go back to his father and say, Father, I, I, I don't even need the, the family name anymore. Just please give me a job. So how much? How many, how much? Sometimes we over-spiritualize these people. Now, this was a human being, a son who had squandered all the wealth, who had, the Bible says, who had used it on wild living, finally got to the bottom of the rung with nothing, and his only resource left is to go back to the dad that he stole everything from. Do you think he was very confident about that decision? Do you think there was a moment when he looked down the path, he's working his way home. I mean, it took courage to get to that point, didn't it? Oh, I'm not going down that street. I can't go back. And the enemy was probably coming after him saying, you're not worthy. You, you should never go back. You've done too much wrong. There's sin in your life. You can't go back to God. Look at your life. Doesn't the enemy do that to us too? And thinks, why would your father love you? Do you think there was ever a moment on his way back when he saw his dad sprinting at him like, oh, I'm in trouble? (laughs) Sure there was. I don't ever think that the younger son ever thought that his dad would grab a hold of him, run to him, drop, pick up his robe, because in, in the ancient Orient, let me tell you, men in this kind of condition that were dignitaries who were wealthy, they didn't run. Like the culture of the day, you would never see a man roll up his robe and sprint. Women ran, kids ran, but now he sees his dad rolling up the robe. Oh boy, I'm in for it now. But it says he grabs a hold of him, puts his arms around him. It's his son, Grace. Grace, 
grace, grace, grace. I love you. I wonder how many people in your life would run to you or would turn around and come back. I wonder how many people don't with fear of how you'll judge them or treat them. Yet, we are children of God who have been given unusual grace. Like, we don't deserve what we get from Christ. Yet, we base our love sometimes on others on how they treat us, how they live out their lives. And yet, grace makes us more than the sum total of our sin. Grace does not depend on what we have done for God, but rather what God has done for us. You see, grace doesn't depend on what we have done for God. Like the older son believed, like, oh, I'm, I'm, in, I'm, 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 I'm doing everything, God. I'm checking off the list. I, 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 every day I've been faithful. I have never ran away. I'm investing your money. I'm caring for I'm up every morning early. I'm feeding and I'm helping and I'm, I got your back and blah, blah. I'm doing all this. Grace doesn't depend on us earning it. It depends on what God has already done for us. And he gave his life for us through his son, Jesus. If we call ourselves Christians, then we should live like our father God does. So look what the son does. I mean, look, look, look at the son's, look what he says. He sees him coming in verse 21. The son said to him, like as he saw him running, after he got kissed, like, wait a minute, dad, wait a minute, I got a plan. Look, look, dad, I thought about this. I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to, to be called your son. And he, it's like he's got this plan. Look, I'm going to pay you back. Look, here it is. I'm going to work my tail off, and you're going to be proud of me one day, and you're going to maybe bring me back into the family. I'm willing to pay the repayment of my sin. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Like, here's the business plan. And so can you see him? He's trying to rattle off this plan that he's thought about for these days and months and on his way back. I'll tell dad this. Like, like I'll, I'll do anything, dad. Like, minimum wage for 25 years. Like, whatever. And so he's going through this plan. And then it says, the father interrupts the plan. And look what he says. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was what? Lost and is now what? So they began to do what? Celebrate. All except the good brother. And why? Because he couldn't fathom this like, the way I receive my father's favor and the way I get invited to the party, which is a reference to, as Jesus is saying, to heaven, to the celebration, the only way into heaven and to have this bridegroom celebration, the only way there is if I do enough good, I do enough righteous acts, then. So nowhere do we see where the older son, the good son, wants to have any part of this. Yet, The father says, grace, 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 grace. And it says, the son who was lost is now found. And he's invited to the party. Can you imagine the scene? Like, 
He sees his dad running and all these different scenarios in his mind, his business plans in hand. And all of a sudden, like, it's blowing him out of the water. Like, wait, 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 why are you doing this for me? Like, not only do, is he hugging him and kissing him, he says, you know what? Come on in. We're bringing out the fattened cab. We're going to give you a robe and a ring. He's probably standing there thinking, what did I do to get this? He didn't do a single thing, and that's what grace does. See, all of us have experienced that. Those of us have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who are born again, who are saved, who, who have trusted in him. The only way we can get to God, can be saved, is through grace, through faith, through Jesus Christ alone. It's free. Can I ask you, have you burned any bridges with people in your life? Because you think they don't deserve it. Did you deserve grace from God? The son who was lost is now found. God's love and forgiveness can restore any kind of sin or wrongdoing. By the way, do you believe that? You believe it for yourself and you're like, oh, I hope he forgives me. Please, God, forgive me. But not her, but give it to me, God. So now we see that the younger brother is saved. He's invited to the party, the celebration of heaven, because he's repented of his sin. He's run back, and he's received this free grace. Like, the invitation was there. We don't see anywhere in this story that the younger son says, I don't deserve that. Like, let me, wait a minute. Let me have quiet time all week long first. Like, let me earn my favor. No, it doesn't say that he did anything to, to go to the party other than the invitation was given. God said, it's free. And he said, I'm in. That's what grace does. That's purely what salvation is. It's a free gift that we can't earn. And all we have to do is receive it. And so God is even holding out right now. He's saying, here it is. Here's salvation. Like, who wants eternal life? Who wants to, be, to have a relationship with Jesus Christ on earth and to have him by your side forever where he'll never leave you nor forsake you, where he'll walk you through the darkest and deepest struggles of your life and it might be difficult, but he'll never leave. Who wants eternity with God on earth? And not only that, when you breathe your last breath on earth, who wants the promise that when you breathe your next breath, it's in the presence of the almighty God? See, that's what God offers through Jesus Christ. And it's free. And this younger son, he's like, I'm all in with that one. And the next thing we know, he's at this party, this celebration. It is impossible to forgive someone if you feel superior to them. See, that's what the problem is with the older brother. Like, he can't, he can't forgive this younger brother because he feels superior to him. The second we base our own righteous acts, our own lives, and we look, begin to look at people like, look what I've accomplished. The minute we do that, it's called pride. And when we operate out of pride, it's sin. And we begin to look at people as less than us. Here's the reality. Listen to me. We're all just saved by the grace of God. There is not one righteous act we'll ever do outside of what Christ does through us. It's impossible to forgive someone if you feel superior to them. The primary reason we don't extend grace is because we see our, and view our own lives and our own perspectives as better than others. Up to this point, nowhere in this parable did it say that the older brother searched for his younger brother. Why? Like, 
They searched for the coin, didn't they? They turned that house upside. They swept it clean. We got to find that lost coin. They searched. They left 99 sheep behind. And that one that was lost, they left him behind. He said, we got to go find it. But nowhere in this account do we see any search party sent out for the son. And especially not by the older brother. Why? Because he thought he was superior to his younger brother. See, he thinks he's in. He thinks he's the good one. And what we're going to come to find out is he is as lost as his brother was when he left the house. Yet he doesn't realize it because he is basing his salvation, his invitation to the party and the celebration is based upon how good he lives his life, how often he does good acts. And he thinks he's in. And when he sees his brother, he can't believe that he's gone to the party. Like, you didn't do any good. How'd you get in? And I want to say, how do any of us get in other than the grace of Jesus Christ? Praise God for grace. Yet as an older brother, <laughs> I have a younger brother. He's seven years younger than me, and he's 59 inches taller than me. Just, just No, he's, it feels that way sometimes. He's 6'2". He got all the height in the family. And he's seven years younger than me. I pray that, you know, that I would never, like, if my brother turned away from God, I, I pray that I would never say, like, he deserves that. And I pray that would, if that would happen, if he would come back to Christ, and by the way, he is serving God. He's a school teacher in Washington Courthouse, Ohio, and he's good at what he does. He poured, he's a track coach too, and he's good at what he, and, and, and the thing about, like, I would pray that I would never, ever, like, say, you deserve that, Ray, you deserve that. I pray that I, when my brother was lost, that I would scale the mountaintops of our world to find him. Because God would do that for us and has done that for us. So what's the older brother's response to this party and celebration? Look at verse 28. The older brother became what? What's it say? Angry. And he refused to go in. By the way, stop there. That's important. That's important. That's important. If in fact, Jesus is using metaphorically, referencing this narrative as this party as heaven and the celebration of, of, of saved people, this older brother refused. What did he refuse? He refused to believe that you get in by grace. And he decided that he wouldn't go because if his brother could get in based upon the way he lived his life and didn't earn it, he didn't think that he should be part of that. So look what it says. It says, The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Don't you love how God just keeps coming after us? Like, God the Father, like, I'm not giving up. Like, aren't you glad that you have children or maybe a husband or wife? Or aren't you glad maybe your own life? Like, how many times did it take for God to, how many times did you have to hear from someone that Jesus is the way, Jesus is the way, by grace through faith? How many times did God continually come after you and never give up on you till finally, 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 you opened your hands freely and say, because here's the problem, we can't receive something from God if we're holding on to something else. How many times did God come after you? And it's the picture of this father, like one son's in. He didn't give up on that son. No, he says, come on in. You come in too. 
come on in. And yet he refused. But he answered his father in verse 29. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property, it's important to look at the phrase how he even denies that. He didn't say this brother of mine. Like he had just cut him off. He said, this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. See, he was just like the Pharisees that Jesus was talking to here. He checked off the list. And everything he did for his father, his dad, was done out of duty instead of love. He kept the law and expected to be rewarded. He even highlights the fact that the younger brother had been with prostitutes. While he did everything dad wanted. He felt superior to his brother. Have you ever been around someone like that? It's impossible to forgive someone if you feel superior to him or her. I wonder how many of you are like the older brother, the good brother. You see, he's now more lost than his brother is because his brother's in. He freely took the gift of salvation. He's part of the party. And now the older brother is as lost as his brother was when he ran away from his father. The older brother thinks that the only way you should have a celebration and be invited is is if you're good enough for God. I want to jump in the middle of the story, like in... And, and, and ask, how many of you would be angry if, if your brother, your sister, your boss, your ex, your neighbor, your coach, your ex-friend, how many of you would be angry if, if they received the grace of God in an unusual way? Because they don't deserve that. Don't you know, God, what they did to me? Doesn't he know it? That's why he sent Jesus to the cross. What is Jesus saying to us in this passage? You can never be so far from God that he won't take you back. Man, when I read stuff like that, like, we can never be so far from God. Like, here's the other thing. Here's the beautiful thing about salvation. is that once Jesus grabs a hold of you, a perfect God with, an, with a, a sovereign grip, There is nothing that will ever be able to separate you from the love of God. He'll keep coming back. He'll keep coming after you, trying to help you get back on level ground and live the way that you were intended so that you produce fruit. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Meanwhile, the older brother is adding up all the works he's done, what he thinks is due to him, And the only thing we offer God in return for our salvation is our sin. (laughs) Think about that for a second. What can we offer God? Like, 
the only thing we have left to offer God for our salvation is our sin. Like, it was because of our sin that Christ went to the cross. It was our sin that we offered to God. Say, here, here's my sin. And he had to do something, and he decided to do something with it. He loved us so much that he took our sin to the cross. Here's my gift. Like, here it is. Here's Jim's sin. Take it to the cross. The only thing we offer God for our salvation is our sin. You see, when you get that down, you live differently, and you extend, and you dole out grace lavishly on people. This is really a story of two lost sons, two lost brothers. The lost one is, younger one is found, and the one who thinks he's found remains lost. (laughs) And the moment you and I refuse to give grace, it leaves us asking, have we truly ever received the grace that Jesus has offered us? So what's the father do after the older son refuses? Look at verse 31. He said, my son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, don't you love? He comes right back at him reminding me. He's not only my son, but he's your brother. This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now what? This is what the father is saying and this is what Father God says to us as his children No matter how far you are from God right now, no matter how horribly you have sinned this week, no matter if your list of failures and sins is 30,000 feet long, Jesus loves you unconditionally. It's God's grace that draws us in and saves us and lets us enter the gates of heaven to join in the celebration. Purely God's grace. Yet the Bible says that the world will know us by our love, the way we live out our faith in front of others. In this story, the Father shows us what God's grace looks like by accepting the younger son right back in. The problem is that the older brother never saw himself as part of the community of sinners, he never did. Like, he thought he had everything. Like, if, if the world would have ended it, it, during his time, like, if it would have ended, he was, he was sure, he was certain, I'm in, I'm in heaven. Look at my life. Like, and he thought if he stand before God and God say, why should I let you in my heaven? He would say, here it is. <laughs> Yet the only answer that we have when God asks us, why should I let you into heaven? We say it's because by your grace and your blood on the cross, I freely received it. I'm able to stand here redeemed, saved, and part of the party. And here's what's sad about this story. This, this narrative, this story just abruptly ends without giving any indication that the older son ever received freely the grace that God was extending because he believed that he had to earn his salvation. He spent his whole life trying to do the right thing. Two things come to mind in conclusion with this for me. Now think about this from this account. Some of you have spent the majority of your life, the majority of your life, Refusing to extend grace. Some of you have people in your life 
right now that you don't even talk to anymore, that you have shut off. When the truth of the matter is, you want to know how much you love God, you love God as much as you love the least person in, the, the, that you love the least person in your life that you love. Think about it, the person that you love the least in your life, that's how much you love God. So let me ask you a question. How much do you love God? Oh, Pastor Jim, I'm, I love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind. I mean, I'm all in. How much do you love the person you love the least in your life? That's how much you love God. The second thing I know from this account is this. Some of you are lost and headed to hell and will be left outside of the celebration of heaven because you think you're part of the, of, of, of the Christian circles, but in reality, you're not because you're trying to earn your way. Please, it would break my heart. Like, it would, it would, it, when I get to heaven one day, to know that there were people who sat under the, the preaching and teaching of Grace Community Church that believed somehow that you could earn your way to heaven. Listen, hear me clearly. You can't earn your way to God. It's by salvation, it's grace through faith in Jesus alone. There's no other way. Sure, when you come to Christ, there should be fruits. Sure, you should repent of your sin. Sure, there should be evidence when Jesus radically changed your life. But it doesn't happen before. You can't earn your way to God. So maybe you're here today. Maybe, maybe you've missed it somehow along the way. And you just keep trying to earn the favor of God. So you keep serving, signing up for this. and sign. Maybe you've been part of Time for Revive for like 47 straight nights. You're like, I'm keep coming, God. I'm keep coming. Look at me, God. I'm here again. I was here at 7 a.m. I was here at noon. I'm here at 7 o'clock at night. Look at me, God. Look how, look how I'm living. Listen, there is not one righteous act that will get you to Jesus. It's only by grace through faith, and it's grace. Let me close in the service today. Would you stand with me, please? Please, don't walk out or don't leave. This is just too important. I'm going to ask you to do something for me as the worship bands come out in our two venues. We love God as much as we love the person we love the least. Like, where at in your life right now? Is there someone that, like, when you heard me say that, like the Spirit of God just pricked your heart, and you're like, oh boy, I don't love that person very much. In fact, I've shunned them, I've shut them out. Because they did this to me, and they... Jim, they did that, and they did that, 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 that. Listen to me, listen. We love God as much as we love the person we love the least. And maybe now you're saying, I got to deal with this because I'm not living the way Christ wants me to live. Maybe it's an ex. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a mom or dad that you refuse to talk to. Maybe it's a brother or sister that they did something to you. I don't know what that is, but listen to me, please. Don't leave this room until you deal with it. Until you take a hold of that sin in your life and, and you repent of it.
so that you can restore your relationship with Jesus. Maybe it's an ex-husband or ex-wife. Who's that person that you love the least? That's how much you love God. I'm going to ask you to do something for me and for God most. That's why you want to do it for him. Because you want to live right before God. If you need to do some work in your heart with someone. And you're recognizing, boy, I don't love God as much as I thought I did. And you just want to come and give that relationship over, that situation over. And you want to hand it over to the God of grace and say, God... I'm going to love this person, God. God, I'm not going to hold this against them. I'm not pulling out the calculator anymore. God, it's been too long. I just want you to come quietly to the front in the main and the link and just, just kneel. We've had tons of people come in the first service. Like, where are you at? Like, now here's where pride steps in and says, oh, I got it all together. Like, <laughs> just come, come and deal with this. Like, give it over to God. Just say, God, I'm giving it over. I'm letting loose. I, I'm just giving it to you. Just come quietly and just kneel across the front and, Listen to the Spirit of God as the worship team leads us in a song and just just deal with this. Maybe you continue to come as they sing.